Warning, the following podcast is a shit show, and the individuals you are about to meet are idiots. Their opinions, anecdotes, and advice contain zero nutritional value. This is the critical human condition and all of its strangeness. This is life, according to an idiot. Are we doing this thing? We're doing this thing. Before you pass out from your two Benadryls? Yeah. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. <laughs> we got to do this before I pass out because I just took two Benadryl. Yeah, I was like, hey, Jeremy, do you like sushi? And do you want to go get sushi with me? And he goes, hell yeah, I love sushi. We proceed to go buy sushi and eat it. And I'm like, hey, aren't you allergic to shellfish? And he's like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's a new allergy, so I forgot about it. And uh, now I'm full of Benadryl. Right, yeah, he um, his throat will close up if he has shellfish. No big and, deal. And he ate some shrimp, so we'll see what happens. Um, I don't need my throat for anything. Yeah. So it's good to be back. It's good to be here. I, we haven't recorded in a while. We because um, of the weather in Michigan has been at well oh, last week it was insane. Yeah, it was, it was like well, how what was the low like I think it got to negative twelve at one point. Oh, I think it was like negative twenty eight. Well, the wind chill was. The wind chill got to negative 30 at one point. Yeah, and they were saying you could get frostbite on exposed skin between 5 and 10 minutes. Which is insane, yeah. Which is, yeah, crazy. And then we had a really big snowstorm as well. Because for the longest time, we were having like a really moderate winter. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't care about winter. And then it was like negative 12 at one point. When it gets that yeah. cold, you're reminded of your mortality. Mm-hmm. Oh, if I'm outside for like 20 minutes, I'm dead. Yeah. It's like, can like, you met, like if, if your car breaks down, you yeah. could die. Yeah. God. Another really annoying thing, which I thought a few minutes ago when I had to run out to my car really quick, is in the wintertime, you can't just like run outside barefoot. Which is oh, yeah, no. super annoying. Like in the summertime, I can do whatever I want without any shoes on. Or like just and no your big socks. deal. Yeah, or my socks. But that's weird, so I'm not going to do that. I love going for runs in just my socks. Yeah. <laughs> like the winter, you can. I got to put shoes on. Yeah. You know, if I want to protect myself, put on a coat as well. Yeah. And go do, like, I want to just sprint outside and then that'd be fine. You know what I like to do if I have to run out to my car? I like to not put on a coat so that when people drive by and they see me walking outside without a coat, they're gonna, they're like, that dude's really cool. He does The cold doesn't bother him. See, I think it's just like, dumbass, put a fucking coat on. Yeah. Well, if I'm grabbing something from my car. If oh, I'm, no, no, If no, I'm no, going yeah. outside, if I'm going outside, yeah. of course, I'm going to get a coat. There's this guy in my class and um, where the class is held, you have to walk a pretty decent ways um, mm-hmm. in order to get to the building in which the class is held. And the dude wears a short sleeve t-shirt every single day and he just walks up no coat or anything he just walks outside in his short sleeve shirt wow. and it's like still you know negative 10 degree weather and was it's he doing like, it that day oh yeah yeah it's so weird how like for some reason there's that weird idea of wearing a coat is not cool i don't understand. i don't and know like, how that started but like for some reason now it's like if you and especially with guys especially right. with guys it's like if you're wearing a coat, it's lame. Because you're tough. Yeah, that's 100%. Yeah, there um, was a thread on Reddit uh, where it was, uh, what's the weirdest slash dumbest thing you've ever done to impress someone of like the opposite sex or mm-hmm. like, you know, someone you're yeah. interested in? And a lot of them were like stupid stuff like that. Or one of the ones I thought was really funny was this uh, kid was at a park. He was like 12 or 13 or whatever. And there's a group of like 16-year-old girls. And he was, like, biking with his dad. So he thought he would look cool by picking up his mountain bike and carrying it over his shoulder (laughs) past past these girls. And his dad goes, like, hey, bud, you know you can put that on the ground and roll it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's like, no, no, no. When they got back to the car, his dad looks at him and goes, 
was it worth it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like, like, oh god, right? Because like in the moment, like at that age when you're like mm. a teenager or, or a preteen, you think that no one can pick up on what you're doing. You're yeah. like, I, no one's, no, yeah. They're, you're just gonna I'm be so impressed, slick. and then yeah. you're gonna want to bow to me. That's gonna be cringy. Like if I have a kid someday, and like I have to like, oh yeah, I'm gonna make fun of them for sure. But like you can only do that to a certain extent. You can't grill your kid too hard and stuff like that because they have to do cringy things in order right. to grow. I think. Right, and then they have to think about it until they're sixty. Yeah, they have to. They have to be haunted. <laughs> if you're not haunted by at least ten things by the time you're in your thirties, I think you've probably done something wrong. Yeah, for me. Something stupid I did to impress someone um, in high school. I was a freshman and um, I would sneak out of the house to go meet up with this guy. And I didn't know this at the time, but he had a girlfriend and I was like his side Uh chick. But he was telling me he loved me and he was telling her Mm. he loved her. So I would like sneak out in order to go see him because he was an older boy. So like I couldn't go like, you know, date him. You said he was a what? He was a junior. So yeah, he could drive. Yeah, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. So I would sneak out to go see him. And one night, we decided to walk over to his house. <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling this story on here. <laughs> Let's hear it. We, we walk over to his house and um, we watch Dragon Ball Z on his couch. Uh, it's romantic. <laughs> <You're right>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but his dad comes home and I'm not supposed to be over there because, you know, it's like two in the morning or something. Mm-hmm. And his couch was one of those reclining couches. So he puts up the recliner part and I hide underneath it for two hours while his dad like sat and watched Dragon Ball Z with them. Two hours. Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought dad would have wanted to watch that? <laughs> It was like several episodes of Dragon Ball Z. I just had to sit under that fucking uncomfortable coat. And like the guy <laughs> sat on top hours. the guy sat on top of it so his dad like wouldn't try and put the recliner well, down how, or something. How, how but... did he not see did he put like a blanket over the legs so you were covered or Um, I don't I don't remember. Probably. Even with the legs up, you can still see a fourteen year old girl crouched under the legs. <laughs> I, th- I think that's probably what he did. I don't. Yeah. Uh, the, the whole night's a little vague now because it's been a while. But after that, I'm like, I, I want to go home, you know. So I get home and my dog mm-hmm. is going berserk because I'm home and it's late and he wants to play and stuff. Yeah. So my mom wakes up because my dog oh, no. is barking. So I hide behind the couch in my living room. Yeah. And my dog, you know, is trying to like love all over me and stuff. So my mom just follows the dog. Oh, God. Finds me fully clothed behind the couch. Like, now I know she was processing it, but I thought I got away with it for a minute because she didn't immediately, like, blow right. up or anything. And yeah. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. So I go and lay in bed. And then she freaks out. And she's like, you know, give me your phone. You're grounded. And like all, and then she searches through all my text messages. And oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't like what she found. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was mainly him. Like, ooh, I want to look at your boobs. Yeah. And I want to touch them and stuff and i'm like fine i guess i don't like sure oh that's music to a junior's <laughs> ears right there i guess you can look at it <laughs> like i'm not gonna send you a picture but like if you want i can just show you <laughs> <laughs> take a gander fellas yeah um so that was really awkward but that's my cringy story of what i did to impress somebody and then it was immediate regret like, some guy's giving me attention. Yeah. I don't really like you back, but, like, I I like this. I like that you like me. I like that you yeah. like, like me. Like, what's, what's your favorite quality about me? Oh, that you like me? <laughs> Eighth grade, it's, like, the most passionate, yeah. wholehearted love you've ever had. And now mm-hmm. it's, like, 
do I love this person? <laughs> right, right. Do I really want to like, spend, like, yeah. I don't know what love is. It's like, her hair's weird. Do I, <laughs> do I want to? <laughs> yeah, we definitely change a little bit. Off the record, yeah. we should get, like, a bunch of our friends together. We should get really drunk, and then we should play a game of hide and seek. That would be fucking cool. I would love to play hide and seek. Do you ever get, I get scared when I play hide and seek. Even now, like, <laughs> like the last time I played it, which probably was not that long ago. But now it wouldn't be so bad because you have your phone. You could just like scroll through Twitter or something while you're waiting for someone to find no, you. No, I get equally scared looking for people though. Where I'm like, you're probably in the closet. <laughs> and, they, and they are, and then I scream and they don't. I'm like, oh, oh, fuck, you are in the closet. Do you remember um, playing like popcorn on trampolines? Yeah, that used to scare me. <laughs> right? I was like, every time, like, my mom's a nurse, so I, I grew up hearing an adult being like, you're going to fucking die if you do anything fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? mm-hmm. But with popcorn, I, there's nothing else in my adult life, if you can call this an adult life, where I am more at the mercy of my environment than popcorn on a trampoline. Right. You know what I mean? Where you're just like, God, I hope they don't step on my head. Right. <laughs> um, if none of you have played uh, popcorn before, uh, yeah, good yeah, point. yeah, I should probably explain um. So you and a group of friends are on a trampoline, and everybody is balled up, basically like a like a roller coaster. Like you have your he- your head between your legs. You're kind in the of. fetal position. You're in the fetal position. Yes, and then you have one person, or if you have like a lot of people, you'll have a few people who are just jumping basically to get you to pop, so that yeah. you're no longer in the fetal position. You know, it's a fun game when the first rule is okay. First, get in the fetal position, and, and then you're gonna not be in it anymore. We're gonna try to unravel you. <laughs> so Jeremy. Well, I wanted to bring up the Super Bowl because mm. that just happened um, in our time frame. Super Bowl was just last Sunday, so a few days ago. Uh, you know what? I'm going to be real with you. I Did didn't, you watch I it? I didn't watch it. This is the first year I watched none of it. Did you watch the halftime show at least? No. The halftime show was so bad. So it was Maroon 5 and Travis Scott? Yeah. First of all, have you noticed how long Maroon 5's been around? They're not even that good. Why are you still here? Like I, When I was in third grade, Maroon 5 was big. It's like suspicious. Maroon 5 is headlining. It's like Owl City is going to play Fireflies. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Another thing you would have seen if you had watched the Super Bowl was like the 10 ads Bud Light had promoting that they don't use corn syrup. Is corn bad for beer? This is why I wanted to bring it up because I don't know about you, but I was shocked and horrified when I found out I had been drinking corn syrup. Am I going to die? Will my arteries clog up? Don't worry, you sweet, sweet children, because I'm going to hug you with my warm science and clear the air and (laughs) we will all feel better. Is this going to be a science corner? Um, Sure. Science Science is is cool, cool. and And today today we are cool. Corn syrup, or you might have also heard it as high fructose corn syrup, has kind of been getting a lot of publicity as being like bad or certain companies advertising that they don't use high fructose corn syrup. And it makes you question, like, if you're advertising you don't have it, does that mean it's bad? I think like certain cereals and things like that, they're advertising that they don't include it. And now Bud Light spent, you know... A few million advertising that they don't use corn syrup. Well, like, why would I care unless it's bad? It's like selling Jello and being like, "There's no leaves in this." Uh, right, like our, our our leaves are not supposed to be in this. A lot of companies use it, even like IPAs. So like, how did that start to get a bad name? So basically, corn syrup is just like a form of glucose. Like, it's just sugar. When you use it in beer, it gives it a light, crisp, and dry type of texture. This sounds like a Bud Light commercial. Light, crisp, dry. That's also my skin in the winter time. <laughs> 
But that's what you want in like a light beer. It tastes better too. Like it just tastes. So it tastes, does it, tastes does it sweeten it? Does it have a sweetening factor to I'm it? I'm sure because it is. It's just like it glucose. Is, yeah, right, right. That's pretty much what it is. So are, it's just like a sugar. Is Bud Light replacing it with the quote unquote healthy alternative or is it just? No. And that's the thing. They're instead using a rice syrup, which is cheaper and also tastes worse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Bud Light already tastes like piss. So yeah, I, mean, I know. There's no way they can make it worse than it already is. So I feel like they're trying to profit off of the cheaper alternative of rice syrup oh, uh, doing to, a... to like trick people into thinking that's the better route. But really, pretty much everybody uses corn syrup. Honestly, like any kind of flavored drink, there's going to be corn syrup in it. Right. Who got the idea to make corn syrup, I wonder? Some dude looking at his cornfield being like, I bet I could turn that into a, into a sludge for drinks. So if you're thinking to yourself right now, do I really need to care about this? Answer's no. Unless you're allergic to corn, because it doesn't really make any difference at all, whether it's corn or rice syrup. Also, if you're allergic to corn, take the hint. Right. Fuck off. Ever heard of Darwinism? <laughs> oh, speaking of the Super Bowl as well. Yeah. I saw a commercial for the new Twilight Zone show. That's coming to CBS. Actually, it's coming to CBS All Access, which is like their yeah, stream subscriber-based yeah. one, which is kind of a bummer. But Jordan Peele's helming it. Were you ever into Twilight Zone? No. I like grew up watching reruns of Twilight Zone, and like, oh, it was my first outlet for like spooky stuff. Um, and the trailer looked really good. I- I'm really excited for it. Are you gonna pay for it? I don't think so. I'm gonna try to find like I'm gonna okay, try. It's to probably gonna it. be pirated. Yeah. I'm gonna try to torrent it. You know, Jeremy, what's really scary to me? Spiders. Cults. Okay. Spider cults? And America. American spider cults? American cults in which people fornicate. Really? I, you know what? That's that's weird. It's almost like... We're segueing. It's almost like we're segueing. Wow, it's hard to say segueing. <laughs> I know. Segueing. And now that we're getting into our creepy topics, I'm going to switch over to NPR Kaylee. And I'm going to be... Scary Jeremy. Oh, God, you sound old. Skeleton. A dark cave. Dead grass. I really can't do a scary voice. But if I added music like I am right now, then it becomes much scarier. That's right. And maybe I'll even make my voice deeper. Is that a train coming by? Nope. It's actually just a dog barking. Is that a fart I just heard? Yes. 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 There's more. Ah. Where are all these farts coming from? Oh my goodness. We better get into this segment quick. Ah. Sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly? That's one small step for man. Zemu, the supreme ruler. This club better be worth it. You are the people the planet obeys. You are the people who own the planet. And thereby, you will save it. Unbelievable, fantastic, but I tell you it could happen. So, Jeremy, um, I think I picked the topic this week. And I think so. yes, I decided to do cults. And specifically, I think you, my good sir, are going to cover Aleister Crowley. Oh boy, am I. Yeah, so we wanted to touch on cults in general. I felt there's no better place to start than the man who was 
proclaimed to be the wickedest man in the world. Let's jump into this bad boy. Did you know that Aleister Crowley is in some way related to NASA? Huh, I didn't. Oh my goodness. Get ready to be absolutely amazed. So I'm not just going to be talking about Aleister Crowley. I'm going to spin you one big old yarn uh-huh. that includes many people, but it all falls into one yarn basket. <laughs> it's all being knitted into one big spooky sweater right. of the occult. Ooh. Right? So one thing we're gonna, I'm going to be talking about a lot is what's referred to as Western esotericism. Um, Western, Western astrotericism. Yep. So Western esotericism is actually kind of hard to define, but it falls under the occult. It's all about the Western culture and their quote unquote rejected knowledge. Mm-hmm. Think of like magic, conspiracy uh, theories, stuff like that. Yeah. Kind of wacky stuff. But, you know, before the advent of the Internet, when fact checking became a thing, mm-hmm. people were like, leprechauns are real and you cannot try to debunk me because there's no database for you to look this up on and we're all entitled to our beliefs so back in the day you had a lot more cults there's probably still a lot of cults today but they're typically you know some tax-exempt billionaire business essentially so and this rejected knowledge that um the western esotericism draws from again using the word knowledge so loosely is typically knowledge that is uh neither accepted by scientific or religious communities So these people are really on their own. They're really just faith-based whack job stuff. No insults meant for someone who is a whack job. I apologize. Sorry, whack job. Sorry, whack job. Uh, So just think magic, superstition is a huge role in it. And like I said before, conspiracy. Uh, Western esotericism focuses on what's called an enchanted worldview. And there was a, um, I want to say it was either philosopher or a uh, a sociologist or somebody like that, an academic mind, who came up with six characteristics of esotericism. The man's name is Favre. So number one, correspondences. This means that there are both real and symbolic corresponding things existing. So example, like horoscopes. Mm -hmm. I was born in April, therefore I correspond with a certain SAR sign that then affects me. Right. So everything is connected. Additionally, there is what they call living nature. They believe that the universe has its own life force or energy. Every tree, every blade of grass all has its own unit of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the belief in imagination and meditation. So there's an emphasis on human imagination and the practice of meditation as a means of accessing different levels of reality. You can transcend if you meditate and if you think deeply enough, you can alter your own state of consciousness and like access higher levels of life essentially Hmm. they believe that reality is hidden between the living and the divine world so like you know supernatural world our world and that the reality lies somewhere in between there so they also believe in what's called transmutation they think that you can fundamentally transform yourself through meditating using your imagination looking deeper and um drug experiences that kind of falls under that altering your consciousness there's also concordance so the practice of concordance they believe that there is a unifying principle from which all world religions and spiritual practices uh, derive from again this probably falls under conspiracy they think that we're not getting the full picture here right we believe in islam we believe in christianity we believe in judaism but really there is one thing that is masquerading as all these different religions that is our one true god our one true everything that's really interesting yeah i mean some of this stuff remember how in our demons episode you made that point about how um surveys show that younger people in america are becoming more spiritual right i feel like this is kind of like what it is when i was learning about this stuff not that i believe in any of it but like 
I'm way more accepting than I probably should be to it. And right. also, I know so many people who who do believe in this stuff. You know, it'd be weird if we just had a sudden increase in cults start springing up again because our generation is like so spiritual. And also, we're so lost with communication now. Yeah. So many and people we're, are... And we're so like, fuck the government and fuck society. Yeah. That we're kind of like in the hippie era yeah. again. All we need is like another, you know, Manson or... Alistair Crowley, as I'm about to get into, right. to like convince us to follow them. I wonder. I could totally see it happening. And so last but not least is what they call transmission. So this is the act of imparting or conveying esoteric teachings and secrets from uh, a master, like rituals. So your master in a cult has the knowledge and they have to pass it on to the disciples. It's imparted to you through like initiations with cults. Mm -hmm. So you hear like wacky stuff like blood sacrifices right. or even just something like Boy Scouts. Mm -hmm. Boy Scouts has this initiation that we did. When you go from uh, Cub Scout to Boy Scout, you literally just have to get a certain amount of badges and like, like time in as a Boy Scout, learn enough things. Mm -hmm. They bring in this little bridge. You walk over it, get this what they call an arrow of light, which is just this arrow on like a plaque. And you're a Boy Scout now. You're not a Cub Scout. You have the arrow of that light. That was like um, graduating from middle school and going into high school for me. They had like a little bridge you had to walk over. Mm. You know, Boy Scouts in general also is kind of culty. Very culty. It's all about yeah. initiation and, and rituals and stuff like that. And um, they also like use kids to sell stuff, which is weird. Yeah, I never thought of that. I sold, I would sell popcorn every year as a Cub Scout. Right. And they'd be like, hey, if you sell $400, we'll give you like the stuffed snake. You know, I never even thought of that. We weren't getting any money of the stuff we were selling. Mm -hmm. Why did my parents never go like, why, why are you working? <laughs> <laughs> why are you selling why are you this doing stuff? This? Uh, yeah, so that's that's the gist of uh, Western <laughs> esotericism. <laughs> that, that was uh, cults, aka winning giant snakes. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the most well-known names in Western esotericism is a man named Alistair Crowley who was an English occultist who joined and started numerous cults to varying degrees of failure. Right. Aleister Crowley was born Edward Alexander Crowley in 1875 in England. His family owned stake in a, in a pretty lucrative brewing company. They always had money. His father retired early and became a traveling preacher. Mm -hmm. They were comfortable, but he grew up watching his father be all charismatic and passionate about religion and spirituality. And that set a really deep attachment to religion and spirituality in Alistair. So he was very close to his father, but not very close to his mother. And his father died, I believe, of like tongue cancer, which I didn't know was a thing. Oh, that's odd. That's pretty bad. You know? God was like, shut up He's already. Like, yeah. And so at 11, when his father died, he sort of went off the deep end in terms of becoming a troublemaker. He started to question Christianity openly at, at his religious boarding school. He started smoking, drinking, masturbating, which I guess <gasps> is a big deal. Sin. Back then, it was like a huge deal to masturbate and like admit to it. Yeah. They, they thought of it as like you would um, be like impotent. Wow. I'm going to be so impotent. And you'd get like erectile dysfunction. Like you wouldn't be able to get it up anymore wow. and stuff if you masturbated too much. So he started also soliciting prostitutes. And huh. into his 20s, he was like getting like gonorrhea on the daily. He was a dirty mofo. And the thing about Alistair is you're going to hear more about this. The dude is... Uh, Sex is a big thing to him. Mm -hmm. It's really compulsive. He's, he's definitely got a problem. I'm worried about him. Alistair, <laughs> if, if you're listening, I know you've been dead for over 90 years. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, take care of yourself. So his mother, because of this behavior, his mother took to calling him the beast, 
which oh, um, is, in my opinion, positive reinforcement. That's badass. <laughs> yeah, that's such an odd thing for Good Mother morning, to call. the beast. Hey. Yeah, mom. So he really liked um, that. He, he he liked <laughs> that his mother called him the beast because he was like, yeah, I hate my mom and I'm, I'm a beast. I'm angry that my dad's dead, so I'm going to be really disgusting. Right. He also was sent away shortly after this to Eastbourne College. It's in, it's, you know, across the pond where he began developing more refined interests uh, such as chemistry, chess, poetry, and also mountain climbing is a huge thing for this guy. This huh. dude fucking loves climbing up things. You know, it's like a young thing now, too. Everybody Hikes. fucking loves mountain climbing and stuff. And hiking, too. Like, hiking's like, hiking, in my opinion, is like mountain climbing junior. Hi- yeah, hike- <laughs> hiking and, like, just mountain climbing in general. Like, I don't know if you ever see that, like, on Tinder and Bumble. It's, like, a huge thing. Oh, like rock climbing, you mean? Yeah, rock yeah, climbing. Well, to be fair, rock climbing is so much different than mountain climbing. <laughs> That's what I meant when yeah. I met, when I said mountain climbing. I meant rock right. climbing. You can go to some sort of, like, fancy arcade and, like, rock climb. Right. You have to go to, like, the Himalayas to climb mountains. <laughs> but, yeah, so maybe everything's coming back. So he joined the Mountaineer Club and he scaled the Bernese Alps, which I guess at the time was the cool thing. Right now, I don't give a fuck. Uh, (laughs) By 20, uh, Alistair had changed his name from Edward to Alistair. And um, he started to study literature and philosophy at Trinity College in Cambridge. So the name changed. I thought this was interesting. Now, Alistair was Gaelic for Alexander. And he thought that that was like a really cool. He's like, "That's, that's a cool name right there. Yeah, that's Gaelic. To quote Alistair on the name change directly, he says, I had read in some book or other that the most favorable name for becoming famous was one consisting of a dactyle followed by a spondee. Now, a dactyle is a long syllable followed by two short syllables. Example, my name, Jeremy. Yes. And then a spondee is two syllables which are both equally stressed. For example, Taylor. Ah. Taylor. Taylor. Kaylee. You say it so odd. It's like that. um... Kaylee. Yanny. Laurel. 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 <laughs> you do Laurel. so well. That's so weird. <laughs> Laurel. Laurel. Stop. Oh, God. I'm getting uncomfortable. <laughs> that is weird. Okay. Sorry. Um, and so Alistair Crowley fits that thing. And guess what? He did become famous, so maybe he had a point. I don't know. Over the next few years, well into his 30s, he starts having a lot of what he calls spiritual experiences, which a lot of his biographers, like people that write about him, mm-hmm. they believe that what he's actually talking about is like sexual experiences. For example, he makes note of this one specific one that happened in like Sweden, I think. And people speculate that that was actually his first homosexual experience ah. um, because he did fall in love sort of with this uh, man named Herbert Charles Pollitt who was president of the Cambridge Drama Club. As one is when they're gay. And uh, they would later break up due to Alistair's increasing obsession with Western esotericism. Mm. Uh, A breakup which Alistair would later call like one of the worst decisions of his life because I guess he was really into this guy. Aww. Uh, Well, Alistair was a creep, so I don't feel so bad. So um, I don't want to get too much into Alistair's life because it is a weirdly long story with so he This guy traveled... Almost anywhere you can imagine. First cult he ever joined is what's called the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. That was a cult founded by Freemasons. It's a lot like Freemasonry, but that was his first run-in with being part of a secret society, and he really dug it. Ultimately, the um, Golden Dawn uh, didn't want him because he was like known publicly for being so debaucherous and having sex with anything he could find. Mm-hmm. They're like, get out of here, you creep. And yeah. so he got out You're of there. You're too weird so for us, even. He then fled to Mexico. From there, he went to Hawaii. And then he went to Japan, Hong Kong, India. In India, he actually practiced like yoga. And then he oh, was. Oh, no, not yoga. Yeah. And then he was in France. 
eventually he would marry this woman named Rose. And um, after he married Rose, he started to uh, develop what's called Thelema. So Thelema, that was his heyday. That was like the one thing that he made that was successful for the longest in terms of a cult. Hmm. What would happen is Rose started joining Alistair on his journeys to places. Mm-hmm. And she partook in some rituals he would do. Like at one point they were staying in this hotel in, in Egypt and they pretended to be a king and queen or a prince and princess from some mm-hmm. other country. And uh, while they were in the in the room, Rose, who later turned out to be an alcoholic and I believe she died from alcoholism or mm-hmm. she was put into a, a home or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would get delirious during these rituals and she would talk to Alistair in the voice of a god. Mm-hmm. And she would say, they are waiting for you. Ah. By they, she meant the god Horus. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Which was good for her for being mindful of her pronouns. Mm-hmm. Later, while also delirious in a different setting, she claimed, quote, the equinox of God has come and then led him to like out of the hotel down to an old museum to this weird like little like whatever, some display in a museum. And the number of the exhibit was 666, which Alistair saw as like a symbol of like, ooh, okay. Because he's all about neuro- neurology, all about numerology mm-hmm. and um, corresponding things. Mm-hmm. He would later transcribe everything he learned from those experiences into what's called the Book of Law, which would be the basis for Thelema. And so time goes by, blah, 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 blah. Let's forget about Alistair for a second. Yeah. So I want to take us to America, early 20th century and introduce you to a man named Jack Parsons. Mm-hmm. Jack Parsons was uh, the founder of, have you heard of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, JPL? No. So I believe it's just part of NASA now, but Jack Parsons founded JPL. He was a scientist, an engineer, a chemist, a libertarian philosopher, and an occultist. So Parsons invented the, uh, I'm going to not know what I'm talking about here, but just hang in there. Uh, Parsons invented the first rocket engine to use a castable composite rocket propellant and pioneered both liquid-fueled and solid-fueled rockets. Yeah, he was like a genius for his time. Yeah, and, and for a uh, space study, space travel, yeah. you know what I mean? Like with rockets in the space age. Um, so he grew up wealthy in Pasadena, California, in a place called the Millionaire Mile, because it's just one long street just full of mansions. So he, was, he had the luxury of, you know, being wealthy. Mm-hmm. And so as a child, he always had this fascination with science fiction novels and also magic. Like when he was a kid, he tried to summon the devil in his bedroom. Hmm. So he was always a little bit out there with the occult. From childhood to his days studying chemistry, uh, Parson always dreamed of helping mankind reach the moon. That was his big goal because of the science fiction novels he grew up reading. And at the time, though, that was thought of like, you know, this is probably back in the 20s, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, back then, they were like, we can never do that. That'll mm-hmm. never happen. And then like within the next 50 years, so much changed. But um, no one even had ambitions for going to the moon realistically. They're like, that's just entertainment. Can't be done. Whatever. And I guess when you think about it, back then, I'm sure it definitely seemed like it couldn't be done. Right. Um, back then, the government had no interest in space exploration at all. But around World War II, the military did start to develop like an intense desire to fund and develop rocket tech, but for war, not space travel. Mm-hmm. Parsons and all of his nerdy friends that were really passionate about this, they, they started out with amateur rocket experiments. Um, he did this with his friend Ed Foreman, who is also a very big name in aerospace tech. In 1934, Parsons, Foreman, and a graduate student, Frank Molina, would form the Guggenheim Aeronautical Laboratory Rocket Research Group. Just rolls right off the tongue. Mm-hmm. At the start of World War II, the military bought this technology they made called Jet Assisted Takeoff. They're like, we can totally use this to kill a bunch of people in World War II. And they're like, well, we want to do space stuff. And like, we're going to kill a bunch of people. Mm. And they're like, okay, fine, just give us money. And they're like, yeah, no problem. And then 
JPL became a pretty big name. Like the uh, the government uh, attached itself to it, and they would be the first company to work with NASA, and then eventually hmm. get absorbed by NASA. But what kind of ruined him, Parsons, that is, is that he got way too deep in the occult. Mm-hmm. In the 40s, Parsons joined the new religious movement known as Thelema. Hmm. Where have we heard that before? So that was the cult headed by Alistair. And so Parsons and his wife, her name was Helen Northrup, went to what's called the Agape Lodge, which is the grossest name. Agape? Ugh. Yeah. And that was the California branch of the cult known as Ordo Templi Orin- or- <laughs> Ordo Templi Orientis also known as OTO, which was an uh, earlier cult that Alistair was involved in, tied to Thelema. So there they witnessed what's called the Gnostic Mass, which was performed by Crowley. And um, uh, what a Gnostic Mass is, it's kind of weird, but essentially you go to this lodge. So there's like a bunch of people on stage and there's a black coffin. Alistair comes out of the coffin and does a little ritual. And at the end, they um, eat the Eucharist, which in Christianity, the Eucharist is, you know, the wine and the bread for the blood right. and flesh. the crouton. Yes, that's right. <laughs> but... For Thelema, for OTO. Semen. It went well. <laughs> Close. So in this case, the Eucharist was uh, red wine and bread they called the cake of light, which was a wafer made of bread, honey, plant oils, and menstrual blood. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> this is where stuff starts to get gross. Parsons, after seeing this, Parsons was like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. I'm 100% sold. I don't know why. I just love this so much. And he started, like, you know, rubbing elbows with Aleister Crowley being like, hey, man, I would love to, like, you know, learn magic with you and, like, explore reality and do all a bunch of occult stuff. And Aleister was like, I love that people love me. Absolutely. You'll be my protege. I want you to head this church. And so really quickly, Parsons climbed the ramp, the ramp, the ramps. <laughs> he got on his DMX bike and rode up the ramps. Parsons uh, really quickly climbed the ranks of Thelema and he got really close with Crowley. He eventually headed the California chapter hmm. of the OTO. But the thing with uh, OTO and Thelema and all of that is it, Alistair Crowley, he believed in sex magic, yes. which is essentially at its core. There's There's a lot to it, but at its core... He believed that um, the orgasm is like the truest place you can be in your physical self. Oh yeah, I agree. It gives you a gl- <laughs> it gives you a glimpse into these other realms that he talks ah, about, the divine yeah. and the and the truth. And he believed that if you meditated enough and you had enough orgasms, that eventually when you orgasmed, you could create magic. You could will something to happen, put a curse, put a spell, whatever. Hmm. When you orgasm. Now, in my opinion, looking at this all, you know. Many years later, it sounds like Alistair just really wanted an excuse for everybody to come together and just jizz. Right. Everyone, he just wanted everyone to have a great time. He's like, so orgies aren't really a thing yet, but I want to make them a thing. Let me touch your boobs, please. (laughs) (laughs) So um, what kind of screwed Parsons over is Parsons obviously really was taken by this whole concept. He was like, you know, masturbating constantly, having sex constantly, all in the name of this cult. And, uh, even at work, he would talk about it and be like, hey, guys, you need to go check out this Gnostic Mass. It's awesome. It's so cool. And he brought some coworkers into oh, the, into the no. lodge. And they saw the, the, the mass. And they're like, this is some weird shit, Jack. <laughs> what, what are you doing? We don't want to be a part of this. And that started make, bringing about tensions at work. And eventually, 
I read in some places he would like start trying to bring that into the workplace where he'd be like, I really want this rocket launch to go well, so I'm going to masturbate. Oh, God. <laughs> and they're like, you can't do that, dude. You're being really weird. And so eventually even the government, the whole military was like, he's really giving us a bad name. And also the rocket scientists were like, he's discrediting us. Like he's making us look so bad by being affiliated with this cult, by being so wacky. We need to get him out. So they pushed him out of JPL. Hmm. So he lost his job at JPL. But that just gave him more time to throw into the occult. Right. So it's my opinion that throughout this, I got the vibe that his wife, Helen, wasn't super into it. Mm. But Helen had a sister named Helen who was super into it. Helen had a sister named Helen? Helen had (laughs) (laughs) Helen Jr. I'm sorry. (laughs) Helen had a sister named Sarah. Sarah. Sarah Northrup. Um, And uh, Jack really liked Sarah a lot. And Mm -hmm. Sarah really liked any dude a lot, any person. So she was in part of these, the sex magic as well, and, and he started having an affair with Sarah, uh, which is always classy to sleep with your wife's sister. Right. And so eventually he broke up. He broke up. He divorced. his wife, Him and his wife got a divorce, and he was with uh, Sarah. But Sarah was sort of like, uh, it became clear that Sarah wasn't just interested in Jack. She was just sort of like the freeness of having sex in the sex cult. Right. I want to get into this uh, sex magic stuff at OTO. It gets so weird. Oh, yeah. So membership in OTO is is, is and was, because guess what? It's actually still around, um, mm. was based on a series of initiation ceremonies. So certain numbered, it's like the higher rank you go, you have like a different like title. So it was divided into triads. The first triad was called the hermit group, mm. the lover group, or the man of earth group. So the first level, the hermits, they had to do all the sex stuff. These groups in general oh, had yeah. like ridiculous names. Like this is he, that's like for, so like the hermits just have to fuck all <laughs> <yeah>. the time. <laughs> so uh, they had some ridiculous names for these these levels of of membership. For example, one was you. Your title is illustrious Templar of the Order of Kadosh. Another one is very illustrious Sovereign Grand Inspector General. Ah. Can you imagine just being like, what do you do for work? Well, I'm a, I'm a very illustrious sovereign grand inspector general. I would love to go to like one of their meetings and just see like what it's like. It's you know? still it's still like there's like over 1500 people in America that are still part of this. Do you want to like go to a meeting with me? I, I don't know. I would if they're nearby. Yeah. But they're probably not. It's, I think they're all in like California. Uh, so. I might have to see you naked though. Yeah. You I'm wanna, not, not going to do an orgy. I'm not going to do that <laughs> part of it. You don't want to be a hermit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm already a hermit. Um, the hermetic level involves initiation rituals that are all sexual in manner. For example, the degree eight, the eighth degree of hermit, uh, the initiate is taught magical masturbation practices. Ah. The ninth degree hermit is uh, taught magical techniques pertaining to vaginal intercourse. And then degree, the 11th degree hermit, this is like, you know, the almighty, all powerful hermit. Mm-hmm. You learn all about anal sex magic. Ah, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it's like karate, but instead of black belts, you're getting like different body parts. Like, oh, I'm so proud of my daughter. She's finally achieved anal hermit. <laughs> um, so Crowley, just the biggest perv ever, had a theory. Yes. He thought that by, mi- by mixing both male and female ejaculate, one could produce a magical elixir whose special properties uh, were harnessed by either ingesting it so eating that. Thank you for saying that multiple ingest, times. Ingest. <laughs> just think ingest, like gestate. I have to gestate uh, yeah. this. Or smearing it on something. So if you're like, this is a really special lamp. I want it to be protected. I'm going to mix male and female ejaculate and then just smear it all over this lamp. And it's going to be protected and magical. Uh, yeah. So that's that's that. So OTO is um, 
is still functioning. It has over 1,500 members as of 2014 in the U.S. alone. They currently have branches in the U.K., Australia, Croatia, and Italy. The OTO has a federally recognized tax-exempt status. Go figure. Nice. So let me just wrap this up by talking to you about what happened to Parsons. In 1945, Parsons and his wife separated, as I said before, after his affair with his sister. And uh, this guy named Elron Hubbard shows up, and he's a big fan of this whole Thelema and OTO. Mm-hmm. And uh, him and Parsons are uh, pretty buddy-buddy. One day, Elron Hubbard goes, hey, I'm going to go down to Miami. I'm going to buy a boat, start like a boat business, buy a few yachts. Why don't you give me some money? And then you'll get a share of a profit that we make and we'll be like business partners. It'll be great. We can even maybe have sex on the boat if you want. No problem. <laughs> and so he goes, just for just for the fun of it, your wife's going to come with me and we're going to go down to Miami and uh, I'll get back to you as soon as I got all that money rolling in, man. Like, awesome. High five for business. Mm-hmm. And they did that. And then it turns out that uh, L. Ron Hubbard was kind of a piece of shit and <laughs> uh, just ran off with uh, Jack's wife and <laughs> never called him. And so Jack went down to Miami and he's like, hey, Hey, you jerk. Mm-hmm. You stole my wife, my girlfriend. And then uh, Aaron's like, well, you know what? Actually, she likes me more than you. So, mm-hmm. And then I imagine there's like some sort of tussle on the on the pier. Right. He like snaps his fingers and moves yeah. his head around a lot. He's like, I want to, you want to fight? Rolls up his sleeves. That's yeah. who your best move is. <laughs> and, um, and this is Florida, so nobody cares. It's yeah. like the normal every day. <laughs> I feel like... N- both of them were equally terrible fighters, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, <laughs> They're for both sure. both like uh, missing punches. <laughs> <laughs> but so eventually he went back home, Jack did, defeated, lost out a bunch of money, mm-hmm. and uh, pretty much nearly destitute. After being scammed by Hubbard, he resigned from OTO and he tried to find work um, with this Israeli rocket program. And it was it looked like it was things were about to pan out for a second. And then this was... In the age of McCarthyism, this was late 40s, uh, early 50s, yeah. and they're going like, why is this dude, he used to work for NASA, he used to work for building rockets for us, building weapons essentially for us, why is he working with the Israelis now? Is he a communist? Is he anti-American? And so they essentially blacklisted him, so he couldn't get a job anywhere. Hmm. So what Jack Parsons took to doing was uh, working on film sets, uh, making explosives, doing pyrotechnics oh. for, for movies. That's interesting. Yeah. And so uh, there was one day where he had to do this. Um, oh, did he die from it? Yeah. He had to do this bomb for this one effect. And he's like, it's going to take me, you know, this amount of time. And the people were like, actually, we need it like tomorrow. He goes, fine. No, I'll just rush it. No problem at all. And uh, there was an explosion at his, in his lab and he died trying to make this pyrotechnic thing. Damn. However, a lot of people mentioned that uh, if Jack Parsons was such a, a skilled engineer and chemist and he had been making rockets and explosions and and materials for his entire life how would he blow himself up and he also the explosion he didn't die immediately like he had to be taken to the hospital Uh, some people say well it had to be a suicide because he he was like an expert with the chemical there's no way he would have made that mistake it's pretty easy like even if you work in a lab every day to make mistakes that like uh, things you do all the time that's true i'm just playing devil's advocate Mm -hmm. and so people go well obviously the government did it you know, he had made a mockery of the space program. They thought he was a communist. Ah, uh, yeah. Now, I don't necessarily believe in that, but I just, just you know, I feel bad for Jack because he just wanted to do something he loved. And masturbate. And, and masturbate and have sex all the time because he was having sex all the time. Oh, yeah, he was. He was just loving it. His wife was like, uh, can, can you not? Can you not do that in the kitchen right now, please? <laughs> yeah, so just I'm pouring one out for my homie Jack Parsons right now. Live by the bomb, die by the bomb. 
Now, by pouring out, do you mean a drink or do you mean your semen? I mean my seed. Nice. So that's all you need to know about JPL, Jack Parsons, NASA, and Aleister Crowley. Wow. So I'm going to tell you a little bit. And by a little bit, I mean approximately <laughs> six full pages worth of... Of typed notes. Of typed aerial 11-point font notes. I'm ready. I'm ready for this. Of um, all about L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology. I got most of my information from a book I read, actually, before called Going Clear, Scientology, Hollywood, and the Prison of Belief by Lawrence Wright. It's a very interesting book, and if you're interested at all in this kind of stuff, I would highly recommend reading it. It was also an HBO documentary, but yeah, I'm going to tell you a lot of stuff. I'm not going to cover, obviously, all this stuff in the book. Like This is just like a a nice tip of the iceberg, so if this interests you, I'd recommend reading the book, but... So L. Ron Hubbard uh, was a science fiction writer for a lot of his life. Um, He's actually known, he was known quite a bit for being able to produce stories extremely fast. Mm -hmm. He could just whip out a story within a few days and it would be out and published. Um, But he would write a lot for like magazines and that sort of thing. So he had a little bit uh, of a following just known for his like science fiction writing. Um, But back in 1938, he had a revelation during a dental procedure. He, <laughs> yes. Hell yeah. Yeah, he uh, received a gas anesthetic, and he said, quote, while under the influence of it, my heart must have stopped beating. It was like sliding helter-skelter down into a vortex of scarlet, and it was knowing that one was dying and that the process of dying was far from pleasant, unquote. So basically... I feel like he didn't, his heart didn't stop. Um, right, because it was a dental purpose. General anesthetic at a dentist office. Yeah. I like how, like, like, that's where he has his his moment. I know, his, like, um, epiphany. Yeah, like, the ancients ancients had the Oracle of Delphi. He has Dr. Larry's office. Right. Um, while he was in, like, this kind of hallucinatory state or dream or whatever you want to call it, uh, he believed that the secrets of the universe were accidentally revealed to him. And that he had risen in spirit form from the dental chair, and his disembodied spirit then noticed a huge ornate gate in the distance, which he floated through. And when he went through this gate, he saw everything that had ever puzzled the mind of man. Um, And he started hearing these voices like, oh, he's not ready yet. Um, We need to take him back. So then they rushed him back to life. And he also had a guardian angel uh red of course, of course that is. he describes as a red-haired big busted woman who uh, <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah yeah who would always look over him and protect him and guide him throughout his life he's got good taste in angels all right so he has this revelation um but his science fiction writing is kind of um, slowing down. He's not really getting published as much. He has tried to enroll in the military numerous times but his eyesight was always really shit so the military was even like no <laughs> um you're just a liability man right lawyer. but um in 1941 president roosevelt declared a national emergency so finally l ron hubbard was accepted to um the military he was put <laughs> he was put into the navy because they're like mom says you have to let me play the xbox all right <laughs> they're like, he walks back in they're like fine yeah. come on let's do this buddy <laughs> Um, so he's in the Navy for a while. He doesn't, um, he doesn't see like a lot of, uh, battle action or anything like that. Um, but in 1945, after the battle in Okinawa, 
he wasn't there, by the way. He was just like on a ship somewhere. Um, <laughs> okay. he, was, he was alive at that time. <laughs> yeah, he was alive at that point in time. Right. But he was admitted to a hospital in California for stomach pains. At this point in time, he describes that he was blinded with an in- with injured optic nerves and lame with physical injuries to hip and back at the end of World War II. I faced an almost non-existent future. I was abandoned by my family and friends as a supposedly hopeless cripple. And and every... Is every, there any <laughs> fact to that? No. Here's the thing. <laughs> he stated um, traumatic, debilitating injuries, but in yeah. all of his medical records from the military um, and from doctors said that he just had, like, stomach ulcers. And that was the only thing that was wrong with him. And then he just right. had shitty eyesight. <laughs> yeah. He has a very low uh, pain tolerance threshold. Right. And he was like essentially making up all of these injuries so he would be discharged from the military because, you know, World War II was going on and he right. didn't want to have to like deal with that. But while he was, you know, traumatically crippled, he stated he healed himself of his injuries using techniques that would later become the foundation of Dianetics. Masturbation. And, and then later on Scientology. So... After L. Ron Hubbard um, is let go from the military because of all his stomach ulcers, <laughs> and basically he just keeps complaining enough that they're like, <laughs> right. fucking fine, like you're useless anyway, you can leave. Um, so he decides to go to California um, where he wants to try and become a star. He wants to be like a writer and director and all this stuff. Um, yeah. And this is where he meets uh, John Whiteside Parsons. Who is described oh, as the James Dean of the occult? Oh, is he? Yeah, that's how that's he's cool. described. Yeah, so uh, Parsons bought a mansion and turned it into a headquarters for a secret organization dedicated to witchcraft and sexual magic, based on Aleister Crowley, or as you described so perfectly earlier, the OTO. Oh my goodness! So uh, Hubbard and Crowley had a lot of similarities in this. Um, a lot of his beliefs inspired Hubbard in a lot of way, and like how you're explaining, um, there's like another area of the world we can't see, and all these like hidden powers, and mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Alron Hubbard's son, his first son, called Nibs, which I'd fucking hate my father too if he called me if he named me Nibs. He changed mm-hmm. his name to Ronald. Um, if you have to, ch- if you have to change your name to Ronald, you have a very bad name. Like God, anything's better than Nibs. Right? He said, um, "Scientology is black magic, just spread out over a long period of time. It's the only thing about the religion that actually works." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, damn, that Burn. is an endorsement from your first son. That hurts more than the ulcers. All right, but the, um, both Hubbard and Crowley both believed that the spiritual progress didn't depend on uh, religious or moral codes, but it was like any other science, mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, Crowley believed that by advancing through a graded series of rituals and spiritual teachings, that the person could make it across the abyss or the gulf existing between the individual and cosmic consciousness. Mm. So Hubbard was like, yeah, that sounds fucking cool. Yeah, like yeah. I'm, I'm into that. Woo! And I then think- he like... Yeah, tweaked his tit a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, man, I wish I could do some anal magic right now. Right. So Parson um, used Crowley's vision and made some adaptations to make it his own. Like you were describing, Crowley was already a very sexual man. Mm -hmm. Parsons, arguably more sexual. Um, And then with the introduction of Hubbard, who was known as a player and would fuck anything that would look at him. It was an 
interesting experience. Disgusting. Um, so Parson liked to focus on the female body and its sexual needs, mm. basically. Yeah. Um, and when Hubbard kind of joined into this mix, he actually moved into the mansion with Parsons and um, Sarah was in there at that time, and they were mm-hmm. kind of a thing. But after Hubbard went in there, he kind of stole Sarah from him, and that kind of like pissed Parsons off. But right. he was like, he's so attractive and amazing. Like, I don't blame her. <laughs> 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 this is what Hubbard said, so we'll see. Um, Hubbard, uh, by the way, for those of you who don't know what Hubbard looks like, he's like one of the ugliest men I've ever seen in my life. so ugly. Um, but Hubbard had a vision of a great cat-like beast that became an inspiration for Parsons' mystical experiments. Um, Hubbard was a scribe for a lot of the rituals, and one of the mm. main ones was called the Babylon Working. Oh, that's right. I didn't mention that. Yeah, which um, used Crowley's notion that the supreme goal of the magician's art was to create a moon child who becomes mm. the Antichrist. Yeah. Now, didn't Parsons write a book called Moon Child? Yes. Yes, yeah. he did. Yeah. Um, so they're they're kind of drawing from this um, to make this ritual in order to create this moon child. Right. And hopefully spawn an antichrist for the world to bring about the apocalypse. What a good idea, guys. Yeah. So so Hubbard had this vision of a great cat-like beast. Parsons yeah. was like, hey, we should make the antichrist with that vision. And they're like, yeah, yeah that sounds great. Let's do this. Uh, night after night. The pair would invoke the spirit world in a quest to summon up a scarlet woman, uh, which included the, quote, invocation of wand with material basis on talisman, unquote. Basically, they masturbated on parchment two or three times every night. So a woman with red hair would show up at their door. Wait, they... They ju- they would just masturbate onto parchment. Onto paper? Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> and it was like a divine ritual that like a bunch of people would be in there and doing. He was just like masturbating on a piece God, of paper. What the fuck? You know what? I, I expect this out of L. Ron Hubbard, but Parsons, <laughs> you made rockets, man. Oh, but wait. Just what? wait. <sighs> so when um, these ceremonies would happen, naturally there were a lot of spearmi- uh, spirits that would mar- manifest. Right, I can't talk. There were <laughs> spearmint of, that would marry. Uh, there, there were a lot of spirits that would manifest, right? Yeah. And on one occurrence, it's noted because um, Ron Hubbard was the scribe, mm-hmm. that Parsons' enemy manifested himself in a black robe and, quote, Ron promptly launched an attack and pinned the phantom figure to the door with four throwing knives. Unquote. Oh my God, that is so not real. God, Elrond. This is why you should not let Elrond be the scribe. Oh God, everyone. Um, that is such like a Dwight K. Schrute thing to do. <laughs> yeah, everyone. Like his reputation, in the house was basically that he would spin all these outrageous, outlandish <laughs> tales, and everyone just kind of went along with it, right? Right. Because um, it was he told them really well. Yeah, because they were too busy like jizzing. Right, and like you read back what he actually wrote, and it's like people believed. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, watch out! <laughs> I gotta throw these throwing knives. Yeah, to really quick. Capture your phantom figure. God. Um, but the weird thing is, one night. A beautiful red-haired woman actually showed up. Thing was, she was in a car accident and was like, I don't know where I am. And they're like, we have summoned you. and <laughs> You belong here. And we're going to have sex with you a lot. Can <laughs> you imagine her night? God. <laughs> oh, good. You're here. Wait, what? Right. And um, I guess there was a bolt of lightning when she had knocked on the door. Uh, and so that's how they knew she was sent to them. That poor woman. I know. So they, they reeled her in, <laughs> um, gave her a room in the mansion. And for three nights in a row... Ron, Parson, and the woman would recite incantations, and Parson and the woman would consummate on the altar. 
Oh, wait, so she went along with it. Yeah, she went along with it. She was like, well, you know, I get a good dickin', sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, also, Parsons or Parsons was a good-looking guy. Yeah, he was you know, the James Dean of the occult. They called him the James Dean of the occult. Right. So, like, I that, that's why, uh, you know, the whole time Elrond's like, so, uh, when's it going to be my turn to uh, <laughs> consummate at the altar? Right, you have this, like, rocket scientist who's attracted, and he's like, hey, I want to have sex with you. And she's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And then you have this like potato squash with teeth named. And Ara he's Hubbard. like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write about it, and I'm gonna watch you guys. <laughs> I'm gonna do watch. It. I'm gonna dictate as you well, dictate her. To remind you, this was a ritual to uh, consummate and get a moon child, which would be the Antichrist, right? Right. Yes. Um. So she did get pregnant uh, with the Antichrist, but aborted it. Hmm. Yeah, oh, and man. then she, and then she got pregnant again, and then aborted it again with Parsons' consent. Um. They talked about it and decided that's what they wanted to do, which I guess is good because now we don't have the Antichrist. What um, a weird, like, like the consensual whole... thing. I mean, like, we're going to do this and we're going to create the Antichrist. I'm not going to keep it. I understand. You shouldn't, you know. Like, I, <laughs> I know. You know? So like, so all strange. of a sudden, like, they're like, okay, I understand. I don't want to pay child support either. It's totally yeah, fine. Right. He's like, actually, I don't want a kid. It's the best um, for both of us. I was just, I was just doing this despite yeah. my parents. <laughs> I was just really horny and, and, and magical. I didn't want to have a kid. I'm sorry. Right. Um, nonetheless, though, Parsons did say that the ritual was a success mm-hmm. and that the Babylon is incarnate upon the earth today, awaiting the proper hour for her manifestation. God. Yeah, Alistair, um, Parsons actually wrote Alistair Crowley about this uh-huh. and he he just got annoyed. He was like, yeah. fucking noobs. Like, right. this is so dumb. This isn't yeah. the... No, this isn't a moon child, you idiot. <laughs> yeah, Alistair really started to show his true colors as he got older, where, like, he just got so annoyed at how into it Parsons was. Yeah. Where he was like, guys, I was just doing this to get, get my rocks off. Right. I didn't want to make this a whole thing. Please stop writing me. Antichrist isn't real, okay? Yeah. Just, like, Santa isn't real. <laughs> right, right. And then Parsons is like, what? Santa isn't real? And uh, Elrond's like, no, I met Santa. Here, right. read it in my journal. I dictated the whole thing. <laughs> It's like a nice cherry on top is um this is like a known fact that like L. Ron Hubbard did participate in all this. Yeah. Um and the church obviously doesn't look good on them, the Church of Scientology. Right. And so <laughs> not at all, yeah. Yeah, so they state um they, they acknowledge that he was involved. Yeah. Um but what they say is that it was a secret mission for naval intelligence. And that was why he went along with it. To expose it and he rid America of black magic. Thank you. God. Yeah. That's... You know, you know what's weird though is that, um a lot of biographers claim that when Alistair Crowley was, uh, remember how I said he went to all the different countries? Yeah. A lot of them claim that he was there under British espionage, which I, like so weird. What? Like, what, when did he have time to do espionage stuff in between having sex and doing yoga? But it's right. kind of like that, where it's like, oh no, no, he's not just a perv. He was actually there because it's a conspiracy and he was right. for the government. Um, so after this point in Hubbard's life, he moved to Florida, and this was when he kind of went into a deep depression. He took Sarah along with him and basically forced her to marry him. Yeah, no, this, um, this was Sarah. This is a Parsons' wife, which we talked about earlier. Um, I don't think they were married. I think they were just like oh, yeah, girlfriend, girlfriend and girlfriend, yeah. well, girlfriend, yeah. boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Hubbard basically stole her. Um, took Parsons' money, moved to Florida, and then kept badgering Sarah into marrying him. And she was like, nah, I don't really want to. And right. he's like, all right, well, if you don't, I'm going to kill myself. And she's like, okay, well, I guess I will then because I don't want you to die. So they got married. Um, Hubbard already has a wife, by the way, that he just completely no. abandoned. Um, and she has they. kids. Yeah, D- Hubbard just likes to stick his dick into stuff. Um, yeah. So he already has a wife. Now has a second wife, Sarah. Which is illegal, by the way. Right. Um, <laughs> and called polygamy. S- Sarah went to uh, Florida with him, who he would beat constantly. Oh, um, God. 
Yeah, he wrote himself a bunch of, like, affirmations that he would tell himself every day to make him feel like a better person. This is some stuff that he would tell himself every day. (laughs) Uh, I can write, my mind is still brilliant. That masturbation was no sin or crime. That I do not need to have ulcers anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That my magical work is powerful and effective. That I'm not bad to look upon. I am not susceptible to colds. Sarah is always beautiful to me. Oh, so when he says, I'm not sad to look upon, he means like... He's not ugly. (laughs) God God bless Um, him. You never illustrate your point with bogus stories. It is not necessary for you to lie to be amusing and witty. He only does that. I know. You can sing beautifully. (laughs) God. Nothing can intervene between you and your guardian. She cannot be displaced because she is too powerful. She does not control you. She advises you. You will never forget these incantations. They are holy and are now become an integral part of your nature. Material things are yours for the asking. Men are your slaves. <laughs> I took a deep turn into crazy territory yeah. right there. You will live to be 200 years old. Did that pan out? No. <laughs> <laughs> your eyes are getting progressively better. They became bad when you used them as an excuse to escape the Naval Academy. You have no reason to keep them bad. So was he like almost blind? Yeah. He, he had one to 200 vision or something insane. He was like legally blind almost. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Oh, here's a good one. Um, testosterone blends easily with your own hormones. You have no fear of what any woman may think of your bed conduct. You know, you are a master. You know, they will be thrilled. You can come many times without weariness. Many women are not capable of pleasure in sex, and anything adverse they say or do has no effect upon your pleasure. You have no fear if they conceive. What if they do? You do not care. Pour it into them and let fate decide. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a new mantra. Pour it into them, let fate decide. <laughs> <laughs> but like, if I were to say those things to myself every morning, I would also be a deluded yeah, cult leader. Psychopath, you know I mean? Yeah, psychopath, um, yeah. So transitioning from that, um, L. Ron Hubbard kind of, really poured himself <laughs> into Dianetics. Yeah. Um, and he, he started writing that. And actually, I think he wrote it within like a month and had it published. It was crazy. Have you ever actually read any of his writings? No. They're pretty bad. Yeah. Like his fiction, they're like significantly not good. Yeah, I, I've heard they're pretty bad. He actually was writing letters to people while he was um, writing up Dianetics mm-hmm. and trying to like, you know, tell people about all this magnificent work that he's doing mm-hmm. to heal people. And in one of the letters, he stated he was working in a psychiatric hospital, and he was actively curing asthma and arthritis. In a psych hospital? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So one of the core beliefs of Scientology is that there's a tone scale. Uh, Mm. And this describes the range of human emotional states uh, from one to four, bottom being from apathy, then anger. Uh, The lower tones were governed by the unconscious reactive mind. And then there was the analytical or conscious mind which was the center of awareness. Hmm. Um, the analytical mind stored all the information and nothing is lost. Every smell or pattern or sound attached to one's previous experiences is present and capable of being completely recaptured. And Like every single detail of your life is recorded and kept in your um, analytical mind. That's a wild concept. Right. Um, so then the third level is your normal state for most of humanity. Fourth is the condition of happiness and industriousness. Okay. Um, uh, Hubbard used these methods to move from the bottom levels to the top. 
So basically, like, you experience all these things throughout your life, and your mind holds on to all of these experiences, good or bad. So Hubbard would use his techniques to get rid of the painful experiences, and that would elevate your tone scale to make you happy. Okay. Basically. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So to achieve this, Hubbard would use deep hypnosis to retrieve traumatic memories, and a lot of these were from birth or while you were in the womb, Mm. actually. He believed that the fetus could not only record details of the parents copulating during pregnancy, but also every word spoken during the act. Again, so much sex. So you see, like, yeah, oh, the, so the dirty weird. words taint your child. So, like, if your mother was pregnant with you and she had a lot of sex, then it would, like, hurt you because you're being jabbed over and over and over with a penis, essentially. <laughs> also, if, the words, uh, put it in my ass, keep on replaying uh, your right. mind. Right. So, if they're like, uh, you slut, you're nasty. And then when you're an adult, people saying that can re stimulate the um, anxiety that the fetus <laughs> experienced. <laughs> Earlier in your life. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, Bill? You're a nasty slut. <laughs> ah, why would you say that? Why would you say that? My poor fetus. So if you, you know, practiced enough and you were very self-controlled, you could become clear, which means that you can recall every moment of your life. Mm. At any point in time, you could remember so everything. Yeah. I didn't know that's Okay. So if you were clear, you had a perfect recall of every moment of your life. Um, and L. Ron Hubbard announced the first clear. I don't remember um, what year it was. <laughs> and it was a disaster. She was like a physics student. And he basically put her on the stage. And in the audience, people would ask her questions. You know, like, what's this physics formula? What did you have for breakfast when you were 14 years old? And um, all this stuff. And she wasn't getting them right. Like, even, like, her knowledge of expertise physics like she couldn't remember right. certain things right. and they uh, at one point asked l ron hubbard to turn around and they asked her what color his tie was and she couldn't remember oh my god so he like it was a huge disaster and um <sighs> he revoked her being clear and then went announce another one for 16 years he's like, i hate afterwards. you <laughs> he's like you ruined this and he stomped his feet and walked away this was my day i tell you my day <laughs> um so more general um Beliefs of Hubbard was that the spirit or soul is also known as the Theatin. Theatin? I don't know. It's T-H-E-T-A-N. And it normally lives in the body, but can also be entirely separate from it. So the main idea, like if you go on and you get to the highest level of Scientology, you learn that millions, billions of years ago, there was an alien civilization and there was this rogue alien called Xenu. And he was bad and stuff and um him and his army were banished from the republic of aliens or whatever yeah Um, i didn't write notes on this uh, i figured i'd remember it and so i'm doing an immaculate job Um, (laughs) um and they were banished to another planet and it was earth yeah so they essentially started inhabiting our bodies um and getting us to do bad stuff so yeah like demons like demons kind of so uh you can expel them. So basically, like, the goal to save the planet. That's a big, like, the Scientologists yeah. want to save the planet by, like, get, getting rid of the Theotins. Yeah. Theotins. Um, but uh, L. Ron Hubbard believed you could heal yourself, like I said before. He healed his bad eyesight. And um, as you're going clear, you can gradually improve your eyesight to optimum perception. And he states, one time, he was reading a medical association report 
and couldn't make it out at all. He then realized that the reason he couldn't read it was that he wasn't willing to confront what it said. He then, quote, threw it aside, picked up a novel, and the print was perfect, unquote. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, the reason he had poor eyesight was because he had a mental block and he wasn't willing to confront it. But once he confronted it, his vision was perfect. So all you had to do to heal yourself was confront these mental blocks and clear them out of the way. So denial, and, though. And then you could heal yourself. Yeah, but did he ever, like, confront that medical document? Because what he's saying is, like, I didn't rather read the document that said that my eyesight was shit. Right. So I said, I'm not going to ever read this. And then I read a book instead. Well, a lot of what he did was discredit a lot of the medical associations and, like, psychiatric organizations and, like, right. call them loonies. And... Well, he has to. Right. Because they're calling him a loony. Because he has the true methods and they're right. just trying to ruin society. Yeah. So eventually, L. Ron Hubbard decides to form the Sea Org. He was convinced that the British, American, and Soviet governments were interested in gaining control of science secrets in order to use them for evil intentions. So Hubbard began looking for a safe harbor or country he could rule over. So he was wanted, is what he's saying. Yeah, he was wanted by basically every government because they knew he was fucking insane. Someone probably told him, like, you know what, Elrond? Uh, you're free in international waters. And he's like, you know what? I just remembered I have to go to international waters. Right. Well, actually, what he did first was he, he just wanted to rule a country. Well, this guy cool. is so, like, textbook, like, narcissist. I know. He's so odd. Um, so what he did was he went to Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe, which was an isolated, diplomatically spurned, and subject to international sanctions. The Rhodesian government served a clique of white colonists who ruled over an insurgent black majority. Mm. I know that's a lot of words. His goal was to go there and take over. Yeah, Yeah, they're very vulnerable and majority of African-American. And he just wanted to kind of jump in, take over. And he just kind of expected them to welcome him with open arms. Yeah. And, you know, like, you're our leader. Take over for us. Right, right, right. And he actually wrote a constitution for them. God. But eventually, yeah, they just kind of became suspicious of his motives and were like, this guy's kind of weird. I would love to read that constitution. (laughs) He said eventually his visa wasn't renewed because his checks kept bouncing. (laughs) So so they kicked him out of the country. Hubbard was so pissed off about it that he said the the leader of uh, Rhodesia was going to be shot for being a suppressive person. (laughs) God. So essentially... He goes to Zimbabwe and they're like, you're too poor for Zimbabwe. Yeah, they're like, He's like, no, I'm here. not. I'm going to kill you. He's like, I'm trying to save the planet. And they're like, leave. What? what? <laughs> you so, remind me of that physics student. God damn it. Right. He's having flashbacks to the bad memory. <laughs> so Albert is like, in general, a very paranoid person. He's very yeah. like distrusting of pretty much everybody. And if you don't believe his ideas, then you're an enemy to him. Because if you're hiding something, you're going to become paranoid. Right. You don't get paranoid if you're if there's nothing to be paranoid about. Right. Jesus wasn't paranoid. Are you comparing Elrond to Jesus? <laughs> yeah. um, so Hubbard decides to form the Sea Org um, and basically sail around everywhere because nobody wants him. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, well, you can't catch me if I'm sailing everywhere. Right. Um, and he claims this is an elite group who would form the committed inner core of the religion, in which... The people had to sign a billion-year contract. I heard about this, yeah. Yeah, have you? You're working pretty much every waking moment of your life. Yeah. Um, and, it, like, really, really rigorous, like, hard projects. You know, it kind of reminds me of, remember in last episode how we talked about, like, the act of Shanghai? 
Yeah. Where you would rope somebody into being a sailor and they couldn't leave until like the voyage was done. It's right. like that where they kind of they trick you into joining Sea Org and then you're just labor twenty four seven. Stuck there and you're paid like two dollars a week or something. So it's not technically slave labor because right. they're paying you, but you can't do anything with it. So you rely entirely on them because you can't do anything else. You know, you're stuck. Terrible. I'd be so pissed off. And this is where um Hubbard would kind of start harassing his oh, um <laughs> the people on his ship God, um he's for like their the worst <laughs> you know, he he would um he would harass people for their dependence on glasses which he said was an emission <laughs> of overts or like transgressions against the group is it because he refuses to wear glasses for his blind eyes <laughs> yeah and um, you don't wear glasses and you're driving this ship <laughs> <laughs> um there was one woman who recalled uh, she was wearing glasses, and he came up to her and told her that she was doing an aesthetic disservice to herself. So he's saying, like, you yeah, look hotter you, without glasses. Yeah, you, you look ugly with glasses. Take those off. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she took off the glasses, and um, later he, he saw her again, and um, she was, like, almost blind without glasses as well. And he, hold, he held up, like, um, uh, like, a box of cigarettes or something, and he's like, read what this says. And she just, like, squinted really hard and, like, could kind of make out the words. And, like, yeah. she knew the brand. So she said it. And he's like, you're getting better. You know, like, you're you're curing your eyesight. She's like, this guy's fucking nuts. Like, my eyesight is shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm I was gonna blind. Say, I was going to say, otherwise, if she's like, you're right, it's just two people lying to each other. Yeah, right. What and a weird she, scenario. It's like, you're right, I am better. Right. And people um, described it as, like, she was barely able to make it around the ship. Like, she was so. God, she's like a mold her, person. Her eyesight was so bad. <laughs> uh, God damn. Um, and he would actually, like, throw people overboard. Yeah. Wow. For stuff like that. Jesus. Like, like, if he felt like they weren't trying hard enough, he would throw them overboard. To the point where they would almost drown, and then he would fish them out. Wow. Well, you know what he's doing there is he's you push them into an unsafe situation, then you save them from it, and it conditions them to trust you or to be grateful towards you. Right. And also, he's just a dick. He's awesome. And he's yeah, like, he's I'm on a, a boat. I want to throw people in the water. <laughs> right. He's like, you're wearing glasses. Fuck you. Yeah. Off the boat. So while he was on the ship, he ended up coming up with the e meter, which is a device that like measures your thoughts, basically. Mm-hmm. So um, when you're talking about stuff and it's like a painful traumatic experience it can register that so they call it auditing where somebody's asking you questions and you're like telling stuff to them and then they're reading the e-meter for anything that might be like a block it would know what you were thinking before you did so like it's basically measuring for where you have those traumatic experiences because it wants you to get over those because then you can work towards being clear okay yeah like therapy right but like not therapeutic. Right. <laughs> and sometimes the reaction was so violent it was like a windshield wiper. Like oh, it was wow. just like flipping back and forth really hard. Yeah. Um, and anyone who had that type of reaction was deemed as psychotic and to have committed crimes against Scientology and they would be punished like automatically. <laughs> That's a bummer. Yeah, it's like your sucks. first day. <laughs> right. And you're, you're a criminal. Emitter, and it's like just this random machine that decides to flicker around yeah he's not like a thomas edison he's like i got two soda cans (laughs) and i hooked up to a car battery right touch him see what happens so um as around hubbard's kind of traveling around he's talking to people and this one guy's like hey i um recovered a past life from you know being in this hypnotic state you put me in hubbard's like 
Yeah, that sounds kind of cool. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, so the motto of Sea Org is going to be, we come back. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So he, he then became recalling past lives of yeah, himself, right? It's, it's, Naturally. It's like, I did that too, right. and I was a ninja in my past life. Oh, God. Wait till I tell you more about it. Um, right. He said it was validated by the E-meter, you know. Which oh, is, well, I yeah, trust that. I the, trust that, The thing yeah. that he made. He's such a dick. Can you imagine like, being married to him? I know. Um, and then he also stated he was a marshal uh, of the Joan of Arc. Course. And that he buried treasure in various places. So they sailed around to all these like coasts and they were like these midnight excursions where they just went digging around to unearth this ancient hordes of treasure. And they didn't find anything. He's crazy. He's, he's <laughs> I insane. I know. And they didn't find any treasure. And he's like, oh, well, it must have just fell in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> a past life must have found it already. Or yeah, or it was stolen or something. Right. Let um, <laughs> so this is like where God. Scientology is gaining a lot of ground. Like they're getting pretty popular. They have a lot of organizations popping up all over the place. They have um, celebrity centers where Hubbard believed uh, celebrities were the way of the future for yes, Scientology. Yeah. And um, they would try and coerce all these celebrities to join. And... and that's where you get like John Travolta and Tom Cruise. Right. Because basically what they do is they have celebrities that are Scientologists and they have like all these groups of like how to help you become famous and look at all these connections we have so if you join us we can give you these connections to jumpstart your career but hey don't forget about us once you're actually famous because we'll uh, cash out on that and then you can't get out though and then they right, can, you're, you know, you're spend money in. on supplies and yeah right because they keep tabs on you so around this time Hubbard wrote a secret order yeah. where he noted a dangerous trend in the gradual reduction since 1967 of the countries available to Scientology. He blamed the U.S. and British governments for spreading rumors about them and wanting, like, getting governments to shun them and not allowing them into their countries. Um, so, as revenge, Hubbard wanted to swamp the countries that had turned against him. Basically, they wanted to get all these, um, these like, defamatory files against scientology to be like ha yeah you're trying to work against us we caught you and um you know fuck you guys (laughs) yeah yeah under um hubbard's now new wife uh, mary sue he got married a third time yes Mm. um don't think he divorced either of his first two wives um i can't remember but um she was the head of the guardian's office that infiltrated the government offices around the world looking for damning files on the church oh wow so in a few years um, there were as many as 5,000 Scientologists who were placed in 136 government agencies worldwide. Holy shit. Yeah, just for the sole purpose. That's smart, though. It's, I mean, it's smart, but like, holy shit. It's evil, but that, it's smart. It's like the largest work of espionage in U.S. history. Ooh. All right, isn't that insane? In 1977, the FBI was tipped off about the operation, mm-hmm. and they carried out raids on Scientology offices in L.A. and Washington, D.C., and they carted off nearly 50,000 documents from oh, their damn. offices. Damn, and like, when, this is how many years into their religion, do you know? 15, 20? Um, 25, maybe. That's a fast growth. Right. So fast forward another few years, um, L. Ron Hubbard issued a new flag order creating the Rehabilitation (laughs) Project. This goal was to um, rehabilitate Sea Org members whose statistics were down or who might be harboring submissive thoughts against Hubbard or the technology. So people who were losing faith in him. Right. They they were thrown into this rehab project, or it was called RPF. And the conditions were really awful. They thought that if you put them in the worst conditions possible, they would eventually reform themselves to be better Scientologists. Oh my god, that's, the, that's like 
That's like dictator stuff. One woman who saw it said she found dozens of crew members housed in an old cattle hold below deck, and it was illuminated by a single light bulb. They were sleeping on stained mattresses on the floor. God. Yeah. Uh, They were dressed in black overalls and forbidden to speak to anyone outside their group. They ate using their hands from a bucket of table scraps. Jesus. uh, Shoveling the food in their mouths as if they were starving. Okay. Like, isn't that so... Can you imagine just walking below deck and you see this, like... Slaves. Yeah, slaves. And the thing is, is they were okay with doing it because they wanted to be better Scientologists. That's so sad. Isn't it's even, that so crazy? It's even more, it's even more sad because, like, I know there's no happy ending to this. I like, know. This like, it still, still happens. still happening right yeah. now. It's like on top of the Sea Org, they're basically recruiting children for manual yeah. labor. Right. And now they're also using this program for free manual labor. And they don't have to pay taxes because they're a religion. That's which, by the BS. way, it was revoked. The IRS revoked their tax exemption. When? This was um, back in the 60s, I think. Oh, so. um, and Scientology was so pissed about it because they were losing all of their money to sa- taxes. Because for once they were like spending on something. Right. So they basically harassed and sued the IRS so many times, like so vigorously that they eventually just like gave in. They're like, all right, fine. You can be tax exempt. Oh, my God. So, okay. Like, knowing that, I would start to think that Elrond's, like, a god. Right. I think he was just a lucky idiot. Just right place, right time. Right. So, that's a lot of the bulk of what I have. I would just like to leave off on a happy note. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when a pre-clear or someone that, you know, isn't clear yet, yeah. um, you know, your general person in Scientology, if they ever decide to voice concerns or desire to leave, the auditor's response is to discover the crimes that the client has committed against the group and basically um, forces them to admit the discretions that they have made and makes them the attacker, basically. Like, we're just trying to help you, and you're trying to, like, get rid of us. We're trying to save the planet, and you're doing all these things against us. Like, why are you trying? It's like guilt-tripping them, basically. Yeah. So they end up staying and cutting out all the suppressive people in their life, people who are... Not Scientologists. Not Scientologists, (laughs) you know. Like, we're trying to save the planet. We don't have time for people who don't want to save the planet. Yeah, who don't want to give us money and time. Right. So a lot of Scientologists end up disowning their entire family or never seeing their children or parents or uh, family members again ever because they're deemed a suppressive person and are exiled from Scientology. Um, And yeah, that's a nice happy note I would like to leave off on. That was your happy (laughs) note to leave off on? God damn you. For a second there, I'm like, when is this going to get better? Um, It doesn't. It doesn't get better because it's still a thing. Um, That's like just the origin of Scientology. Like that's the first quarter of the book, essentially. There's still like three quarters talking about like Miscavige and Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise is fucking nuts. Yeah, I would even recommend Miscavige is insane. To anybody who like doesn't, isn't a big reader to watch the HBO documentary of that book. It's so fucked up. It's shit piled on top of shit on top of shit. And then it's like interconnected to this other shit that, but, yeah. you know, it's, and it's, it's like. It's weird to think that it all stems from like. L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. One dude. One Ooh. dude who like years before he started that was like, you know. trying Masturbating to... on a piece of paper. Exactly. Isn't that so bizarre? I, I don't know. I, I did a lot of research and time dedicated well, to this Well, I know you're really, you're really passionate about like the, this topic and it was cool to get such an in-depth thing. And um, it was also cool to like 
have our segments blend a little bit, like a like yeah. a slow gradation into insanity. Mm-hmm. I'd also like to mention to you guys that we're gonna move to a different schedule of uploading. If you haven't noticed already, um, this is our official letting you know we're both going to school and working and stuff so every week is kind of getting hard especially when we want to do these like really deep dives and do research now we're every other week for the foreseeable future until you know if, right. if, if scheduling gets easier like when we reformatted the show in the first place to be more um topic based one unifying theme it's a lot more work to prepare for an episode and also to edit an episode so uh, we want to make sure that we're you know we want to keep you guys entertained and right. uh, have you guys keep on reaching out and all that good stuff. And uh, hopefully we can keep on telling you some more creepy, weird, insane stuff through this. If you guys have anything that you would like us to talk about or if you have any questions or, you know, concerns, if you want to just tell us we suck or we're great. Yeah, what, I'll take whatever. Um, please tell me what the most embarrassing thing you ever did to impress somebody was because I'm really interested. Yeah, <laughs> in see what let's you hear about did. that. Yeah, you can um, email us at according to an idiot at gmail.com. And we also have a Twitter at Idiots Accord, a Facebook, and an Instagram called According to an Idiot. Um, we didn't do a good vibrations, though. Let's do that real quick. Yeah. Do you have any good vibrations? Um, my good vibration is <laughs> I'm going to say um, halfway decent sushi from Meyer. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Some good old Meyer brand sushi. $4.99 discount old fish. Um, that almost killed me. <laughs> okay, if you um, are desperate for sushi. Watch it if you have a shrimp allergy. My good vibration is crossing guards. Mm. I was driving home the other day, and I saw a crossing guard. She was just waiting at her post for the kids to get off school, and I was like, that's like a really just good intention job. It's always like somebody who's retired but comes back because they just want to yeah, make sure the nice. kids cross the road safely. Like It's a cool job. And uh, I respect those crossing guards. So yeah. I just want to say thank you to all the crossing guards out there and everybody else who makes sure that little kids cross yeah. the street without getting run over like a pancake. I'm going to build off that and just say volunteers in general yeah. that work no, to make fuck, the world volunteers. a better place. Like the people at Sea Org. Thank you so much for your contributions. Thank you so much. Um, they get paid, so they're not and volunteers. They, and they come back. Yeah, and they come back. They <laughs> so, come back again and again for a yeah. billion years. If you would like to send in your own good vibrations, that's cool too. And we'll mention it next time. Or if you have your own questions, let us know. Uh, but otherwise, we'll see you guys in two weeks. Yes. Uh, yeah. No, we'll see you next week. We don't know when we'll see you because we don't know when we're going to. Like, oh, what? but we'll figure it out. Um, if we have another s- snowstorm, this will have already been two weeks. That's true. So that's hello. True. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, we're guys, late to the party. Hi. <laughs> hey. oh, how you doing? All right. Um, Um, Be nice and don't start cults. How about that? Yeah. Drink plenty of water and get plenty of rest. And we'll see you on the other side. Bye. I love you so much. Stay spooky. That's my new thing. Oh, yeah. (laughs)